Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. Good morning. I am looking out the window of my studio in uh, beautiful Fort Collins, and I'll tell you, it's it's been typical of what we've seen. We get some kind of nasty weather in the middle of the week, and then the weekends are pretty nice. We're getting late in the season, especially into the shoulder seasons like this. It's going to affect hunting and fishing, some in a positive way, some where you may have to change your plans. We're going to talk quite a bit about that during the show today and what this winter's been like and maybe what the what the snow that's up there might do for us. So we're going to cover that today. We're also going to just talk about a just a variety of activities. We're going to get Parks and Wildlife on and they're going to talk about the bird flu a little bit and also about where the wolf proposal stands and how much public comment they got on that. And, and then later on in the show, we're going to talk quite a bit of ice fishing. But right now, we're going to talk some fly fishing. Let's go to the phones and joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm looking out the window. It's going to be close to 50 today, and that's about average. It just hasn't stayed around there very much lately. Let's. I know you've got a new website up, and I really want to talk about that and the information people will be able to get off of it. But let's kind of go through what's going on in fishing right now. How is this up and down snow every Wednesday? You know that we've had, <laughs> you know, I think, seven out of the last eight Wednesdays. And we're supposed to get it next Wednesday. How has that been affecting the fishing? You know, it's we're still seeing a lot of our winter uh, patterns right now where the fish are still hanging out in the deeper water. But, I mean, we get these nice stretches over the weekends, like you've been saying. And we've been having some really strong days out on the river. Um, Really productive days, lots of quality fish. Uh, We're getting into that time of year where, um, in terms of the bugs, we're starting to see our spring midge hatch. Um, and that's only going to get better, better over the next few weeks, which is a really big midge in our, uh, in our little small fly world. Um, but yeah, we're see that we're right knocking on the door of the spawning season here. Um, and so we are just, we're fired up right now. And there's these little warm sections that we're getting for a few days here and there. Um, great time to go to the river. Great time. Fish a lot of midday stuff and, um, the fish have been really happy lately. Well, you know, that's one, one good point you brought up that I really enjoy, and that's the fact that this time of the year, because the water, the rivers are iced up except for the tailwaters, and that's going to expand as the weather gets warmer. Um, but the fish are more active during the warmest part of the day. You don't have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to be on the river, and you don't have to or be there late in the evening. The fish are actually the most comfortable this time of the year when you're the most comfortable, so that makes it kind of nice. Uh, I like that. A few of the, yeah, take me through a few of the waters that you have been fishing and what you've been seeing there. Yeah, so we're still we're fishing, like you said, a lot of tailwaters, a lot of rivers that are controlled by dams. Um, fishing a lot on the South Platte down near Deckers and up in Cheeseman Canyon. Um, Deckers has been is usually a really reliable winter fishery, and this winter is no different. Um, we're having uh, really productive days down at Deckers right now, and that's just going to get you know, fired up and fired up. And, and what we're seeing, too, especially on the pre-front side of things, if we stay on this pattern and we keep getting these storms once a week, 
usually if you, if you can knock on the door of the river about a day before that storm hits, you know, or even the morning of as that pressure starts dropping, that's going to give you a chance to see some really prolific bug hatches, which gets the fish really active. Um, now, technically speaking, we're still throwing a lot of small flies, but this is the time of year where we're, we, you know, we throw some of those bigger buggers. Um, we've been throwing a lot of the bigger crane fly larvae right now too, which is a big fly in the fly fishing world. Uh, and this is the time of year that pattern really excels. So think outside the box. You don't have to go small. Um, Deckers is really reliable. The Blue River up in Silverthorne could be really fun this time of year, especially midday when it's nice and comfortable up there. And uh, the Arkansas River below the Pueblo tailwater continues to produce a lot as well. You know, that, that tailwater below Pueblo Reservoir, uh, uh, even before they did that improvement, it was one of my favorite fisheries. You know, they've done a lot of improvements, improved the trout habitat there. But it, as you get close to the reservoir, it's a multi-species. Uh, everything that comes out of that reservoir could be there. And I've had days where I've caught not only trout, but I've caught smallmouth bass, largemouth bass. I've caught panfish. I've caught wipers. I even caught a 20-pound catfish in that tailwater once. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> That'll, that'll stretch your string, let me tell you. So that's, that's been a favorite. And since they did that improvement down there, and it's probably one of the most reliable as far as being ice-free all winter long, don't you think? It, it really is. And, and what's cool about it, because it stays a little warmer down there, we start seeing our mayfly hatches, which usually, like on the South Platte, we don't start seeing those till April. You can see that much earlier in Pueblo. So the bug life could be even a little bit more prolific down there, which... To prove your point, it just keeps it ice-free and it keeps the fish um, hungry all winter long. As a whole, and counting the mountain streams and things, we're having an extremely cold winter. In fact, it's the 14th coldest Colorado winter in history. Has that been affecting uh, the way you approach some of the upper rivers, or is that going to? Has it built up more ice? Are we going to have a, a longer wait till you know open water runoff? away from the tailwaters? You got any feeling? You know, it's, as you know, the next couple months dictate so much of that. Uh, But I could tell you, like the Colorado River, usually St. Patrick's Day is our mark for being, you know, ice off and fishing really strong. Um, And this year, we'll see what happens. It's still pretty icy up there on the upper Colorado. Um, But if we get a few of these, you know, a couple of these nice weeks in a row, that's going to melt that shelf ice pretty quick. So um, I would say, yeah, probably towards the end of March, some of those free stones should start opening up pretty good. And, um, yeah, it's got the makings to be a pretty powerful runoff if it continues on the trend it is. Yeah, I want to talk to you more about that runoff. But first, let's talk about your new website. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we spent a lot of work here up in Evergreen. Uh, folks, go to the bluequillangler.com, www.bluequillangler.com. Um, it is a fantastic site. We're trying our best. We're putting a ton of content up there. And so we just launched this website this week. Um, some of the River Report pages are still being tweaked right now, but we're going to be able to put exactly what flies we've been throwing down the day on all the rivers we fish here close to the metro area. Um, we have, um, reliable reports from really prolific guides in the industry for like Pat Dorsey. Um, we have a lot of how to videos will be posted, whether it's how to rig up your fly rod or read the river and find where the feeding fish are or how to tie flies, 
we're going to have all this content on our website. Um, the main thing being the fish reports is going to be blowing people away. Um, and then we uh, also have our entire retail store on our site. And it's all really easy to navigate. Um, but we actually have every individual fly that we carry up on our website. So um, it's, it makes it pretty easy as you guys shop around, look around, use a lot of the filters on your left-hand side. You can pick out exactly what fly you want to find. Um, yeah, so as you could tell, Terry, we're really excited about it, and the opportunity for us to keep providing content for everybody is going to be um, it's definitely there for us. Do you have any information that will improve my casting? i got a terrible back cast. <laughs> well, if you find that, you let me know, too. <laughs> yeah. Did I ever tell you the time that uh, Lefty, uh, Lefty Cray and Bob Clauser were on the show at the same time? And oh. Bob, Bob said, do you remember, Lefty, the first time we fished together? And Lefty said, yeah, I do. I asked you if you watched your back cast, and Bob said... And I said, no. And Lefty said, and I said, good. I wouldn't want to look at it either. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah, well, we lost a great, you know, Lefty would have been 98 this last week. You know, he passed away a few years ago. But what a what a blessing to the industry he was. So yeah. the, the, tell, tell us about the website again. It's at, it's at just bluequillangler.com, right? Yep, yep, just bluequillangler.com. Um, once you get there, you should be able to find anything you want. Um, there's information on our guided trips there. There's a ton of information on the classes that we run up here at the Blue Quill, which is, um, you know, now's the kind of time, if if anybody out there is interested in learning how to fly fish, now's the time to start thinking about that. As we start approaching summertime here and approaching late spring, our classes fill up pretty quick just because of how um, the reputation they have is really strong, and the instructors that teach a class are some of the best instructors around. Um, and so you can find all that information on our website. As always, call us, you know, 303-674-4700, and we're happy to help over the phone anyway as well. So, um, yeah. I think it's yeah. kind of neat that you're going to talk about the flies you're throwing that day and the river conditions, you know. There's a lot of that information all over the place on the Internet, but it's hard to find one source that gives you that type of information. And that's going to be great that you guys are putting it all together in one place. I want to switch gears on you real quick, and that's the snowpack. We have a tremendous amount of snowpack, and obviously it really hasn't started melting yet to amount to much. We've got a lot of snow in the lower elevations that's melted and almost on a daily basis has changed the flows in the rivers, uh, and maybe not so much in the tailwaters because they're dam-controlled. But we're seeing that, and we're seeing the ground get a little saturated out east, so we may be looking at some better conditions there. But this amount of snowpack, and we have no way of knowing if it's going to continue. We really won't know till April. But what are your thoughts as we approach runoff, if we all of a sudden get into a winter? I mean, what first, what are you hoping for, that we all of a sudden get into winter and it flushes the rivers, or do you hope it comes down slow and prolongs the fishing? You know, um, there's benefits to both. Um, after, you know, this year specifically, I'm, I want as much snow as we can get. Um, even if that means we have a really strong runoff period when that hits in, you know, early mid-May, um, if it lasts a month, if it lasts six weeks, two months, if we have a really big runoff, that helps a lot of rivers. 
you know, the Colorado River, especially the upper Colorado River the last couple years, we haven't had really big flows up there. The snowpack hasn't been there. There's been a little silt and, you know, sand, stuff like that, that's settled on the bottom. And, and when you have a big runoff, that cleans out the bottom of the river sometimes. And that really helps the bug life in the river, and which in turn helps the fishing. And so um, whether it's on the upper Colorado or the South Platte or any of the tailwaters around, sometimes when you get a really strong runoff, especially after a few years of kind of weak runoffs, it's a really good thing for the river to kind of clean it up, flush it out a little bit, and uh, set you up with nice cold water the rest of the summer. So um, long answer, Terry. I'm hoping we get as much as we can, and I'm hoping – I mean, it's nice if runoff, you know, doesn't hit all at one time. Um, but if it does, I'm way okay with that because it's going to set us up for the rest of the summer and into the fall of the season. Well, there's a few things in there, too. As we get into it, we'll cover it more directly as far as what the conditions are. And, you know, we say, is the river fishable? Well, sometimes we say it's not, but there's very seldom a time when you can't find pockets by shore um, that you can fish. And, of course, there's always fishing the lakes that time of the year, which too many fly anglers don't spend enough time on still water. So there'll be opportunities. But, boy, to fill these reservoirs, get some good flows, and then see the uh, flows continue cold through the summer would be so fantastic, especially for the health of some of these fisheries. Some of the flows have been low enough to maybe impact the health of the fishery a little bit, and this could turn all that around. Oh, it really can. I just did like, you know, I live up here in Evergreen, and it's not the fun time to shovel every other <laughs> day it feels like up here. But this year, it's bring it on. I'm happy shoveling for the next two months. Um, Keep a lot of cold, good water for the fishies. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a good bounce-back season. Now, as far as the Colorado River, when it gets to Lake Powell and Lake Mead, I have no idea what's going to happen there, but there's a lot of right. snow in the mountains. If, if we don't lose it early, you know, we don't want to get too optimistic either because uh, early sunny days that evaporate and some of it dries, and if we don't get any rain this spring, but it's setting up to really help a lot of things that have been hurting so badly. And we're looking forward to make it like the Yampa River. I mean, that tailwater is closed right now because they're protecting that fishery. It's uh, it's one of the, where they, they keep a lot of the adults of that uh, cross-hoffer strain that are w w uh, whirling disease resistant, so they don't want to disturb that. Yet it's a great fishery that usually is open year-round. And so we're seeing some of that. We'll look forward to that getting better and better. When you do see the runoff start, how? give us a few tactics. Now, we're going to take us through, maybe we got about two minutes. Take us through um, when we start seeing the rivers open up more, what kind of flies and hatches you look for. But then how do you switch tactics when you get to the, the, the stronger runoff? You bet. You bet. So think of it from like right now to about call early mid-May when runoff starts. Focus in still on a lot of subsurface flies, um, a lot of midges, a lot of betas nymphs. Betas are our first mayfly hatch of the year, and, the may, and that usually happens early April-ish on the South Platte and the Colorado, for that matter. Um, and so, you know, that time before runoff, think a lot of uh, midges, a lot of bluing olives, um, betas nymphs, what we call them as well. And then um, as we transition, we get closer to the mid-May, and we, we runoff starts hitting a little bit. We start throwing bigger bigger patterns right off the edges of the uh, bank, so we're hardly ever getting in the water in, in a really strong runoff season. 
And like you said, then we go go flood, and the lakes happen to, and the reservoirs happen to be fishing fantastic that time of year. And so it gives us an opportunity to go expand our game, fish the uh, still water, and let the uh, rivers kind of settle down a little bit. Yeah, I think that's uh, – I want to spend – when we get closer, you and I will spend some time talking about that still water because a lot of fly anglers shy away from it because – they're used to fishing the river. The river tells them where the fish are located. And the river actually makes their presentation if they, unlike me, get a good cast and, you know, and, and drift through it. Um, that makes, but when you go to Stillwater, you've got to impart some action sometimes yourself and visualize what your fly is doing. And then they have a tough time trying to decide where to cast because they look yep. over at this big flat area. And I think they shy away. But if you learn... You just spend some time and learn. You can get pretty good at it. And, boy, uh, we have everything from warm water species down here to trout in our mid-level. And then you get up high some of these alpine lakes, and it can be fantastic. Chris, we're going to run, but tell everybody again about the website real quick. Yeah, you bet. Guys, find us on the website line, www.bluequillangler.com. Call us with any questions you have. If you're going to head out to a river calls, we'll tell you what flies to throw. Anything we could do to help, please reach out, 303-674-4700. Terry, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon as conditions change. Thank you. All right, see you. Chris Steinbeck from Blue Quill Angler. We're going to take a time out, and we come back. We're going to start talking about some of the things that are going to be hot topics over the next week on the show and so much more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That'll get your toe tapping on a Saturday morning. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gears on 104.3 The Fan. And wanted to talk a little bit about what we've got coming up on this show and uh, upcoming shows. Uh, one thing is turkey hunting. There's a lot of avid turkey hunters out there. We're going to talk some patterning your turkey gun, what chokes, what shotguns work the best, what combinations. Do you need a new gun? Can you get by with what you have? Then we're going to get uh, Bob Hicks in here, and he's done turkey hunting with me on this show for a long time. And we'll talk about some of the little nuances of calling and camouflage and, and how how many turkeys are out there right now. It's just fantastic. So we're going to talk quite a bit about that. Big game draw is on. We'll talk more about that and hunt planning uh, resources you can take advantage of. We're going to talk a little bit about how the weather is really affecting things. You know, we're... Uh, if you heard me earlier, where this is the 14th coldest winter in the, at least the Front Range history. I've got to get clarification, but uh, up and down Denver area and up and down the Front Range. So it's been extremely cold. We're also pushing the limits for the number of days where there's been snow on the ground, both on the Front Range and the Plains. So some of that's going to have some effect on our upcoming fishing and hunting and our habitat. Some of it could turn out being really good for, like, upland game. We won't know probably till we get into about May or June. But uh, it's looking positive, and the water in the mountains right now, if we can maintain the kind of, uh, the kind of snowpack we're, we're producing right now into the end of March and then through April, uh, we get some start, some rainy weather, and get some good runoff. We could really help ourselves out a lot. 
the other thing is open water versus ice fishing. We were thinking we'd be talking mostly open water right now, but we're going to have, we're going to talk. We've got some segments coming up in this show that are going to be ice fishing condition updates, but we're also going to have some open water updates. So we're going to have a combination of both. So there's going to be opportunities, still going to be good opportunities for ice fishing for quite a while, especially up in the mountains. The folks from uh, Fishing with Bernie up in Granby will join us a little later in the show, and, of course, Nate Zielinski and Brad Peterson are all going to give us some water updates. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. And, you know, the other thing about this winter, we've had none of those 60-degree days. You know, this was the first January in 28 years, 38 years, I think it is. Now, I may I may be getting that wrong, but a long time, that we haven't had a 60-degree temperature. You know, we always get those 65, 60-degree days, during the winter where you can actually sit out on your patio or you're outside with just a shirt on doing things. And it's uh, we didn't get that. So we're going to see how that's affecting both, you know, game movement, the fishing opportunities, how the lakes are going to open up. And things, as we get later into the spring, can happen really quickly. So we got a lot of that coming up. In fact, let's take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to Colorado Parks and Wildlife about the avian flu, what's going on with the wolves, and a few other topics on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the front range, and whatever outdoor activity, whatever season, whatever weather we're talking about, They'll, they'll take care of you. Stop in and check one out. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, morning, Terry. It's a beautiful morning. I guess it's going to snow again in the week. Uh, it's hard for me after what we've gone through the last few years to feel bad about getting lots of moisture, but I'd like to not shovel snow one week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can always be nice too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, you want to talk to us? Well, we got a few things we want to talk to. First thing you want to talk to us about HPAI, and that's uh, that's highly pathogenic avian flu. It seems to have struck extremely hard this year, both on domestic and wild bird populations. Kind of update us on what you're seeing. Yeah, sure thing. So. Um, you know, really starting in the, the winter of 2021 and, and going into the spring of 2022, we saw this first um, new strain of, of HPAI, it's called H5N1, that emerged in North America. Um, we first saw it in, in northeast Colorado in March of 2022, and then uh, from March through November um, of last year, we, we saw continued um, uh, small die-offs, and then really in November of 2022, uh, begin to get some reports of larger scale die-offs of geese in, in northeastern Colorado. Uh, and then um, as the month went on and later into December, we started to see some of those mortalities move into the southeast area of the state, um, just corresponding with bird migration. So um, we just letting the public know we, we are aware of, of these events. And if you do see um, three or more dead birds in, in an area um, in a two-week period, or if you see live birds that are showing any signs of disease to please call your local Colorado Parks and Wildlife office. Um, we're doing our best to, to track and, and test as, as we can. We're testing by species, season, and county. And so um, we do want to know when we have these events. Um, and we're also letting folks know, you know, we are 
um, seeing um, a few mammal cases, so lots more bird cases, but um, some of the the uh, animals that do feed on uh, the goose carcasses and, and scavengers, um, we're seeing a few um, mammal cases, and so folks can track that as well. Um, if we, we are working in coordination with other agencies on this, but if you um, you know, go to our website, you can you can find links to all these things. You can find the link to uh, where they're where they're tracking it on the USDA site um, and with the CDA as far as both birds and mammals. So, um, you know, definitely encourage folks to check that out and just and just be aware that um, highly pathogenic avian influenza is is definitely um, an issue right now um, nationally, and so it is in Colorado uh, as well. And, and we're we're tracking the issue and letting folks know um, what we're what we're finding out as we can, and letting folks know where where they can track where where the disease is in the state and when, where we're getting positive results. Couple of quick questions. One, the ones, the cases we've seen in mammals, do we kind of feel that was spread from them eating the raw meat or raw uh, birds? Uh, so, uh, cause people are gonna wonder, well, I harvested some geese, do I, should I throw them away or are they all right if I'm cooked? Do we have an answer to that or are we still a little nebulous on that? Right, so so I definitely um, advise you know if, if folks are and I know we're kind of outside of waterfowl hunting season right now, but if, if you do have concerns about uh, those things, definitely take a look at um, you know our website and, and go to some of the guidance for hunters. Obviously, you're, you're not going to want to hunt any game that that looks sick, you know, um, wh- whatever it is, whether it's a bird or, or a mammal, uh, so small game. So. Um, just definitely, um, you know, do your due diligence when you're out there hunting this year, and don't don't hunt animals that that appear sick. And um, check out our website for for just guidance on on preparing a game if, if you have questions. Now the other thing, uh, and we probably don't have an answer for this yet, but are we getting a handle at all on the impact to wild birds, or is it going to take us a while to kind of uh, to sift through that knowledge and assess the damage? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to take a while to get a to get a sense of the full impact. The the we work with the Colorado Department of Agriculture, and they put out a a situation report. Um, I think weekly that you can check in on, and that gives both the, the estimates of the number of domestic domestic birds, domestic poultry, and and game birds. And so, you know, as far as game birds, the, the estimates are twelve thousand, but the the true um, the true number of, of birds that have died is, is much larger than that. Um, it's really just a, an early estimate of the number of game birds, but it doesn't take into account the total number of wild birds. So um, we're, we're still working on yeah, getting, getting those estimates right now as we receive these calls from the public and as I, we, yeah, we do that work to, to document where we're seeing die-offs. And uh, the message before we move on to another topic, I think you put it in there pretty well, but is that people see more than a couple birds that are look, that are either dead or acting strangely, you'd like them to give you a call, right? Yeah, that's right. If you find three or more dead wild birds in a specific area within a two-week period, or if you just see live birds that are showing signs of disease, call your local Colorado Parks and Wildlife office, let us know. Um, just be aware we're, we're not going to be able to respond to all calls, and we're, we're definitely focusing our response based on surveillance and management priorities. All right, let's change gears a little bit. One of the hot topics that you've been involved in covering has been the introduction of wolves into Colorado. And just to be clear right up front, because I get calls and emails every week, there have been no wolves introduced yet. The plan is still being adopted. 
where are we at in that uh, that plan? Definitely, yeah. So um, it's it's March fourth today. So um, at our February twenty second uh, commission meeting in Denver, we had um, the Parks and Wildlife Commission heard public comments and and provided guidance to Parks and Wildlife staff regarding the the final revisions to the the draft wolf restoration and management plan. So definitely hit a milestone uh, there. We were really appreciative of, of all the comments that we received from the, from the public and all the time uh, that went in from our different stakeholders to, to come up with a really good um, restoration and management plan. We received um, just during this, this January and February public comment period um, about 4,000 comments online. And we heard from 232 people throughout the state at our five public meetings that we held um, thought the process went really well and, and we're just really grateful for for all the people of Colorado who who weighed in who read the plan and and thought uh, you know gave us their thoughtful comments on it and and now um, you know folks can check out that meeting online to, to hear some of those final comments they can um, they can watch the the meeting and see some of the commission's final guidance to staff there were a few you know final edits that are being made but essentially you know we we came up with a with a good plan to to handle what's required by statute to to um, make sure that depredation compensation is going to be provided for, you know, when when there are livestock depredations and um, to, to make sure we're, you know, we've got all the, the necessary um, things in place as far as reintroduction and management and, and how wolves will be um, introduced. We've got 10 to 15 wolves per, per year is the, the goal to, uh, to be reintroduced west of the continental divide. Um, and then just looking forward to get, getting that, that work done. So, um we're making edits to the plan now. The plan comes back to uh, the commission April sixth at their at their commission meeting, um, and that'll be a step one of two process. So um, they'll they'll vote on the plan in a step one there, and then step two will be May third and fourth uh, at the meeting in Glenwood Springs, um, and we expect the the plan to be finalized. And then um, re- really from that time until the end of the year, we're going to be working to to find the source location for wolves and and just do that the logistic work of figuring out where we're going to, where we're going to release them at. So uh, exciting, exciting work ahead. And really this, this past meeting was, was a big one in terms of just getting kind of the final details in place for, for the implementation of the plan. So from what you're saying, I gather that if, if nothing changes, the plan is voted through in the May meeting uh, end of this year, beginning of next year is when the actual reintroduction will start. Yep, that's right. So we're the the statute requires reintroduction of wolves by um, work beginning by December thirty first, twenty twenty three, and so that's the that's the the deadline we're working with to to have our first wolves reintroduced. Well, and I think people should realize too, this isn't some plan that Parks and Wildlife came up with that they thought, hey, let's put wolves in Colorado. This was a public vote that was brought to the people. And legislation or an amendment, I believe, was passed. Anyway, it was publicly referendum at the least was voted on. It was a close vote. But you guys now are under the charge of implementing it. But it wasn't it wasn't a rule that Parks and Wildlife came up with. It was a vote of the entire public in Colorado. Right. Yeah, that's right. It it was a result of Proposition 114 that, that passed there in November of 2020. Um, that is now state statute, but but we really started that that work uh, after that vote happened. That that following spring, we we contracted with Keystone Public Policy Center to um, help us with our public engagement process. We started um, a series of meetings all around the state, collected um, 
you know, 4,000 comments from around the state at that, at that point and appointed two advisory bodies, you know, with, with experts on wolf reintroduction from, from both from within the state and, and experts who had done the work in, in other states. Uh, so, um, you know, but, but you're correct, Terry. It was a, a result of a, a vote, a vote on Proposition 114 that passed, and it was a close vote. And um, now state statute and Color Parks and Wildlife is, is working to implement that statute. All right, couple quick things before I let you go, Travis. You're always a wealth of information. I think we should let people know that um, big game applications are open now, so people need to get online and do that. And it's time to look at getting your new fishing license because fishing licenses will run out the end of March if you have an annual. If you don't have an annual, you buy it now. If I, You can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you don't have one, you buy it, say, today it covers you this march and next march so you get an extra month is that right it does yep it does you'll your your fishing license is good through march 31st but the new licenses are on sale and it's it's a great time to to get your fishing license it's a great time um to get your qualifying license so if you get that that small game combo you know small game fishing combo license if that's how you get your qualifying license it's they're on sale now and now is the time um be sure to to jump on our website um, or go to one of our offices, get the new 2023 Colorado uh, Big Game brochure. Um, look in the What's New section. Uh, we have a videographer, Jerry Neal, who every year puts together a really fantastic short video uh, of the What's New section. So a lot of times I know you just want to know what's what's new this year. Jump in and check out that video. It's always excellent. Uh, you can find that on our YouTube page. Um, but, yeah, most folks know now you need a qualifying license. Um you can check out the areas that are um, going to be mandatory testing this year for chronic wasting disease. Um, check out some of just the the newer stuff. We do have an archery clothing suggestion uh, for for archery hunters who are um, hunting during the overlapping archery and muzzleloader seasons to help address safety concerns. Um, but yeah, now's now's the time. It's we're we're into early March and excited to you know for the for folks who are planning their hunt and and starting to to look at where they want to hunt this year in Colorado definitely check out the the new big game brochure all right my friend thank you for all the information we're going to have to let you go we will be talking about resources for planning your hunt here on the show over the next few weeks both with people from parks and wildlife and with some of our regular contributors so we'll have lots more information travis thank you for joining us great information as always yep thanks for having me terry good to talk to you all right, Travis Duncan from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a time out and we come back. Dan Shannon's going to join us and we're going to talk uh, ice fishing up in the Granby area. I hear the condi- lake conditions are getting better. We'll talk to Dan. And also, that's an opportunity that could go for a while with this cold weather we've had. We'll see what Dan has to say on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1043 The Fan. <music> Got you down and the world's crashing all around. You can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Uh, that little uh, ditty from our song Count On Me was part of uh, uh, an EP that was released by Wickstrom and Dobrith about a year, a little over a year ago. And it's still current on all the streaming services. 
Check out Wickstrom and Doberth on your favorite streaming service. Give us a listen. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Fishing with Bernie up in the Granby area is Dan Shannon. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Terry. How is the weather up in the Granby area? It's actually fairly calm right now. We've got a little sun peeking through. Um, here that we're starting to get this week's going to be full of storms, but, you know, that's just kind of par for the course this year, I think. It really is. Now, you have had a different kind of year up there, a uh, lot of snow compared to the last few years, which always complicates the ice conditions. Uh, what's going on? Let's talk about conditions. Is the water coming up yet, and what are the ice conditions? So we're talking on Lake Granby. The water is still going down. We're, we're getting down towards that 80% full on Granby. But as far as the lake conditions itself, the ice, it's the best we've seen all year. Those flush pockets have been disappearing. We've been in a break between big snowstorms. And, you know, travel is actually very good, and a lot of people are getting out and taking advantage of that. But that's what we need up there because it's a fairly substantial body of water. And, you know, when you can get around on snowmobiles or ATVs or track machines, it makes it a lot easier to fish. How about the thickness of the ice? Is it pretty stable? That's yeah, pretty consistent. You're looking at about eight, eight to ten inches of clear ice, plus your frozen slush layer on top. So, we're actually we're looking pretty good. And like I said, it's the best conditions we've seen all year, and really been enjoying traveling, getting around the lake lately. And is that true of some of the other lakes up there too, like Williams Fork and Willow Creek, and some of those? Absolutely, Williams Fork is. Uh, we haven't, like I said, without the big snowstorms, the foot travel out there is, has not been bad at all. Um, Grand Lake as well, it's, fir it's firmed up quite quite well. Um, definitely lost a lot of the flush that we had out there, even up to this last couple of weeks. So everything's looking real good right now. Why don't you take us through the what, what kind of what the fishing is like? So Grand Lake, the fishing's been been good early and late in the day. Um, as far as your rainbow and brown trout bite, you know you look towards those inlets and that moving water that's still bringing nutrients and, uh, and food into the lake for those rainbows and browns. We're doing real well in there on small. Small spoons, some some waxies, uh, real kind of basic rainbow trout stuff in that pink and white colors. Um, the lake trout we're finding dumping out. They're they're uh, in about that seventy to ninety feet. Uh, we're using small small chunks and jigs like a Simcoe bug, typically with a small piece of the sucker meat. Seems to be working well. So kind of our smaller little finesse. We're we're still February, not quite the spring. A little more aggressive fish yet, but uh, William Fork's been good. Um, the fish out there are definitely hungry. They they're really keen in on the on crawfish. So you kind of think in that that crawfish like pattern, a small small tube. You're looking a small spoon, uh, tip of a sucker. You use lots of lots of crawfish scents. That same Simcoe bug maybe tipped with the with a twisty tail or that uh, like a clam silky seems to be working really well on, on the numbers of fish out there. And in, in catching numbers of fish out of Williams Fork, we're also finding some of the bigger fish. You know, they're out there, don't have much else to eat since they haven't been stocking it with rainbows or kokanee. So they're out there kind of uh, eating up the, the smaller lakers, which I think overall will help the, help the lake in the long run. And what about, as we, what about, go ahead. Right, so as we head on over to Granby, you know, Granby right now has been fishing excellent uh, as far as the, the numbers fish. Once we, once we find our, our lake trout in there, the number of size lake trout were really doing well. I've, I've, our guy Jake's been out there, and he's been doing over 100 fish days on, on a couple of his trips. So big numbers. Um, he talks about his key key is uh, being mobile, and once he finds fish that are willing to bite, then he starts getting down down to the details. He's really really liking a small a small tube, typically a really big piece of sucker meat, and he's using a shrimp or a crawfish type of 
percent and he thinks that that scent's been key as to as far as beginning those fish from that neutral to biting so keep that in mind as you're out there it's, uh, you know sometimes a neutral neutral fish that doesn't want to jig may, might just need just a little little extra yeah and you know you're talking about the small when we're talking small fish and numbers of fish we're not talking tiny little fish these are fish that are probably 14 to 22 inches right in that range yeah, well, we, when we talk numbers fish, I think numbers on Williams Fork are like uh, they're looking at about 15 to 18 inches. On Granby, we're talking 16 to 20, 22. Um, I, I think I think we, we get a little skewed when we talk numbers fish because we also chase the trophies of those 30 plus inch fish as well. So, right and. And you fish for them differently. One of the things I always felt, you know, we talk a lot about hunting the big fish, and Granby and all the other lake trout lakes in Colorado produce some big fish. I mean, Karen and I have both caught 20-pound-plus fish out of Granby more than once. We have uh, just see these huge lakers. They can get up to 40, 50 pounds in Colorado. But I think, And we talk about fishing for those with big tubes and big presentations. But I think sometimes we don't. We don't emphasize enough that for those numbers fish, you really do have to downsize, don't you? You do need to downsize, you know. Some of the numbers fish will still eat the larger baits. But, you know, when we're out there trying to make sure that rod stay bent all day, I'm trying to maximize the number of bites I'm going to get. And there's not every fish that's 20 inches that's willing to bite a 6- or 7-inch tube. So, you know, downsize, the, the food that they're eating is going to be on the, on the smaller side of that anyways. And Grammy, it's predominantly a mice shrimp. They might be eating snails, any type of nymphs or bug life that's on the bottom of the lake. So, you know, you got to think in kind of size in relation to, to that versus the larger fish they're eating, soccer-sized trout, they're eating kokanee, they're eating little larger baits. That's why you can get away with the bigger baits there. Now, I have a question for you, and this came up talking about Blue Mesa a few weeks ago. In Blue Mesa, once it freezes over, the big lake trout, they catch shallower. They're eating they're eating trout, kokanee, perch, whatever is shallow. Um, well, the smaller fish, first of all, they don't want to mingle with those giants because they become lunch. Um, but also, they're, they're, they do feed on the shrimp there, too. And when that happens, those shrimp seem to settle in a little deeper. Do you find the numbers fish? consistently deeper than the big fish at Granby, or is that not the case? Uh, that's, that's, on most days, that is absolutely true. You know, my fish shrimp are a, a nocturnal feeder, so they're going to look for the plankton in the nighttime hours. And during the daytime hours, typically when we're fishing, they're going to be down in the deeper parts of the lake resting, uh, which is complete opposite of what you find like a kokanee do. So we definitely find our numbers fish, those 18-inch lakers, we're, we're finding those in the, in the deeper water. Like right now, we're looking at 50 to 70 is our predominant depth. So we're fishing there where we're going to be bumping up shallower where the bigger fish are going to be primarily eaten. We're going to kind of think of depths like where I'd be fishing for rainbow and brown trout when I'm thinking bigger fish. Yeah, that's I found that true, too, that my biggest uh, laker out of Granby came in nine feet of water. And and when I used to fish the numbers, the only time I've really gone shallow for the numbers has been in the fall during that spawn bite. But I think people fish either too shallow or too deep. Then you see them out in 200 feet of water or 150, and it's really difficult to fish that deep of water. It really is. And, you know, some things that you need to keep in mind is during the ice, ice season is that the water is pretty consistently the same temperature throughout. And Lake Trout prefer water that's less than 50 degrees. So during the ice season, they truly can be at two feet. They can be at 120 feet or 200 feet. 
So really it comes down to dialing in your electronics and dialing in that food that those Lakers are going to be keying on. So use your electronics to identify where the fish want to be and, you know, fish those areas. Last question. How late? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but you got any ideas how late we'll look at good opportunities on Granby to ice fish? I, I, we'll end our guide season right around the 1st of April just for safety reasons, but I'm I'm guessing we'll get in a couple of weeks of uh, fun fishing out there at least until mid-April before the ice starts getting retroceding. It's, it's got a good base. It's got some good insulation, good insulation layer of snow. You know, it prevented it from growing to start the year, but, you know, it also prevents it from growing away here at the end of the year. So, look, I bet mid- mid-April will probably be a, a good safe bet. All right, my friend, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do it? Yeah, check us out on our website at fishingwithbernie.com, and we're available on the social media platforms at, uh, on Facebook at Fishing with Bernie or Instagram, same, same thing. All right, Dan, we will talk again soon. Thanks for joining us. All right, take care. You bet, Dan Shannon. We're going to take a time out, and one of our favorite contributors, who I'm sure is anxiously waiting online both for to talk to us and for the ice to melt. Or maybe not. Maybe he wants to stay out on the ice. Let's find out as Nate Zelinski joins us after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.